Hello, Managing Madrid Podcast listeners. This is your host, Keon Sobani. In a moment, we're going to be recording the post-game show for the Celta Vigo game. But before we get underway, just wanted to bring to your attention that if you're not a patron over at patreon.com slash managingmadrid, you're missing a ton of bonus content. This weekend show is the only free show we're doing now. It's been that way for some time. So our Tuesday loan tracker, our Castilla corner, our post-game shows for the midweek games, the Champions League games, and the midweek La Liga games, plus the mailbags on Thursdays, historical segments. Uh, everything is over on patreon.com slash managing on our secret RSS feed that you need to pledge to get access to. The minimum pledge is $3, but you can get different rewards based on how much you pledge. You can even appear on the show if you pledge uh, enough. And uh, we got a ton of bonus content, too, coming your way for the Manchester City game with some big high-profile guests. So make sure you have access over at patreon.com slash managingmadrid. And without further ado, here is the post-game show for the Celta Vigo game. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. Wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. So he Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast, where we are recording this shortly after Real Madrid dropped points at home against Celta Vigo, and it was not a very pleasant game, all things considered. And it seemed like just when Real Madrid were up two 0 then at least we'd have at least a win to talk about. But instead, a goal from Celta, a bad defensive sequence from Real Madrid, everything came undone. And such is the margin of error. And now, instead of talking about a win, we're talking about two drop points to make up for it, to make you forget about all of your stress in the game. We have four Managing Madrid staff members on the podcast tonight. We have the ever-trigger-happy tweeter, Matt Wiltsey. Matt, how you doing? <laughs> good, good, Ken. How you doing? I'm good. We have Rob Husby making a cameo, cameo here. Rob, how you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. And finally, the son of India, the tactical guru, uh, who no doubt will try to monopolize the microphone, despite there being three other uh, humans on this podcast tonight. Om, how you doing? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing good, man. Now that there's like four people i just i'm not gonna have as much time to just to like do my 15 minute rants and i'm i don't know how i'm gonna cope with that well uh, this is a good uh, learning curve for you um would be a nice test for your uh, for your tactical acumen to see if you can kind of give us the elevator pitch instead of the the, the monologue so um people were, were not happy um online on the internet today after this game i yesterday i saw a tweet came across my feed. I don't know why tweets show up in my feed that I don't people I don't follow these people, but a tweet showed up in my feed that someone said that Atraf was better than Trent Trent Alexander Arnold. And um and people were <laughs> people were just gobbling it up and believing him because they, they watch Atraf on YouTube and they just see a couple of assists. And uh that take pales into comparison to some of the stuff I saw today floating around. Uh, a very emotional game. Now having said that this is a game where you're allowed to criticize and you can criticize every game and there's plenty of room for criticism here. You can talk about Zidane subs, you can talk about the defensive sequences, you can talk about the attack, the lineup, the squad, everything. Um, so we'll break it all down. Um, maybe we'll start with you, Matt. Um, where, how do you make sense of the first half? Because I think the first half is obviously where you start because you can kind of get a glimpse of maybe what's going wrong here. Yeah, and where I'd like to start, and I, I want to get everyone's feedback on this, is is the goal. Um, obviously, it was right and seven minutes in, Celta um, scored the opening goal, and I actually took a screenshot of our back four when Iago Aspas gets on the ball. Um, he turns, he's kind of in that number ten in that number ten role, got a pocket of space, and he turns, and Sergio Ramos comes out to press him, and I think in that moment, Ramos takes a huge huge gamble i don't think enough people are talking about ramos's decision there we know he's aggressive we know he, he likes to come out and press but um in that certain situation he takes a huge gamble he's late so iago aspas has enough time to turn play that ball and then obviously carvajal and veron were both kind of snoozing at the back and more so veron um and kept smolov on side and he, he converted the opportunity so it's interesting to me because, in my opinion, Ramos actually didn't step up quickly enough. Yeah. Um, I think 
once he was like in the position where Aspas turned, it he was just in a bad position. If he had like tried to if he tried to step up like he did, um, you know, he wasn't going to get there. And if he just sat there, he wouldn't have had an effect anyway. So, um, this links to a wider point I'll talk about, which is about Rafinha's like positioning. Um, but like when Celta were on the ball, like they had the few chances to build up against us. He was playing more like a right winger. Like nominally, he was the right central midfielder, but he was moving out into the channel and moving out into wide areas quite a bit. And on that sequence, because of you know just the nature of you know how high the fullback was, Marcelo was occupied. You know, he, Rafinha was always just kind of free whenever he did that. So Casemiro, like after they do the throw in, they pass it back. Rafinha moves into that channel. Casemiro actually gets dragged over to him. And that's when Aspas has the opportunity to kind of drop into that space that Rafinha has vacated. And it's at that moment that Ramos has to follow him instantly so that Aspas doesn't have time to turn. But once he, like, you know, he hesitates or he doesn't know what to do, Aspas has time to, time to turn. And then at that moment, Ramos has already made his mistake. And I don't think he can do anything to you know, recover from that. And it's on Varane, who just wasn't tight enough to, to his man. And actually, I didn't realize this until later, but he lets the pass go to the right side of him, which to me is, is, is a big error. Like if it, if, if it had gone in front of him and he just didn't have the speed to catch up, I could understand, right? Those are those types of passes that are very, very difficult to defend, but actually one on the outside of him. And that's what I think is indefensible. So it was like two key errors there, but I think it came from a clever bit of manipulation um, from Rafinha's type of positioning that just, you know, it, it for a split-second decision, Real Madrid's defenders didn't know what to do, and that's all it took. And that was kind of the story of Celta's two goals, just two split-second mistakes. They took perfect advantage of it, and, you know, that that led to the draw. Yeah, and one quick thing I want to add on that, guys. Um, it Ohm spot on. And the other thing, though, and both goals kind of originated from a similar type of position. Ramos steps out on both of them. And whenever a defender steps out of the backboard, the, the other three defenders should be converging centrally. One steps, three converge. And that didn't happen on either goal. Obviously, Marcelo was pressed high at the same point as Sergio Ramos on the first goal. But on the second goal, I mean, it's the same thing. One steps, three converge. And we, it's, that's kind of rudimentary defending. And we just didn't see it from Real Madrid today. I think it's also interesting, like, those two moments is basically all it took for Real Madrid to drop two points. And because outside of that, there was a corner that Celta had just before halftime where the... That was it. And that yeah. was it. And the, so the corner, the header from the corner, and then these two plays that were trying to break down, which I, I have nothing to add on the first one. The second one, um, I, I want to also just tip my hat to Celta because they the, both mm-hmm. those sequences, they did everything they possibly could have to, to create those goals. The first one was a bit more preventable. The second one, no matter how much I watch it, like you, you look at Varane because Varane is the guy um, who's marking Mina from the top of the play, and then he kind of Mina just moves moves enough off the ball to end up being on Carvajal, and then you know it gets slipped through. Um, ironically, it was you know Mendy the one kind of keeping him on side who came on the pitch as one of the best defensive players. Now I don't even know if how much how much time he had to react to it, but that's what it took. Those two perfect sequences from Celta, one of them more preventable than the other from Real Madrid, and that was that was all it took for Real Madrid to drop points, and um, and that's how efficient Celta were. They were very good defensively, and they took their two chances. And that's not something you can say often about a team that plays Real Madrid. You have teams that defend well, but a lot of the times they just melt offensively when they get the ball. Celta had enough confidence going forward in those two plays um, to get the job done, and. Um, and that's the margin of error we're talking about. So, Rob, what stood out f- to you from that first half? Honestly, I think just the complete lack of just offense from Real Madrid. I mean, we haven't really seen them have trouble to score this this season. As surprising as that was, considering how bad they were last season, they've really turned that around. They're one of the highest scoring teams in La Liga this season, so... I mean, I think just the, the lack of offense. I mean, Bale especially. Bale just seemed very non-existent. Valverde really wasn't getting involved too much. Um, you know, Marcelo was stepping up a lot, trying to create passes, and just so many of them just blocked. And I, it's just it, – it was a very frustrating game for Real Madrid. So when your offense is really struggling to get those two goals and, and just trying to capitalize on them, 
I mean, the margin of error, as we talked about, you know, it just, it, it, it's prominent. I mean, when you have a, a low margin of error there because you're playing so tight against, you know, Kelta, I mean, every mistake you you do is going to be magnified by, you know, that much more. So, I mean, that's really what, I mean, just stood out to me from the first half and really the whole game was just lack of intensity, even though Real was putting the pressure on and just defensive mistakes. I mean, something that Real really haven't done a lot this season. I mean, their defense is a top defense and, their offense has been a top offense and both showed that they were non-existent in this game today. I mean, obviously one recurring talking point. Oh, if I can point, quickly. Well, just so quickly, um, just like the one recurring talking point that <laughs> we, uh, uh, we, we faced this season was, uh, or this, or this, uh, at halftime, like everyone was talking about the crosses cause it was 26 crosses, um, a season high for, for a half for Real Madrid this season. And um, that was a huge criticism that, that uh, the team was facing from everybody. Like, why are you crossing so much? Why are you crossing so much? That's what our mentions were filled with. And I was also looking at it and being like, well, when you look at the team's offense, you know, it's not, it's not terrible. Like, you look at there, – there was, there was a lot of off-ball movement. You, like, rarely in the first half did you see a, a pass being made in the final third, which wasn't followed by a sprint into space. Anytime Bale, Hazard, these guys got the ball in the attack in the final third – they would they would cut in pass and then sprint into the half space or sprint centrally or try to try to create something. Celta just didn't budge at all. And if you you know you're looking for ways to break break down a deep block, they were doing all the right things. There was just no room for centrally. And I think in theory everyone everyone's like you know you go down the middle and this is the one thing that was um, that was really to me was was jarring and kind of pulling my hair out. Everyone wanted Benzema to to basically stand in the box like a predator number nine and jump up and down on a pogo stick in the penalty spot um, thinking that that would solve things if he wasn't dropping deep to help Real Madrid build up and dispossess players and, and be press resistant and release players into space and combine with Hazard he was doing a bunch of things right you know it's it's in, it's easier in theory to say like well you need to go down the middle you need to do this do that there's a reason why deep blocks are hard to break down um, and I think you know something that we noted also at halftime was talking to Ohm uh, we, and we realized that when Marcelo got the assist for the for the cross goal, the cutbacks were a bit dangerous, more dangerous than the actual more traditional crosses. But you know there was a, a certain chaos that those crosses were bringing to an extent where to end the half, Real Madrid kind of grew into it. They kept knocking on the door. Hazard really came to life. He was he was doing his best to break lines, and he was doing well. And I, I think some of it was just beyond his control. And you know I think he did well overall. Some of this is like, you know, you kind of just have to tip your hat to your opponent sometimes to make it make for making life difficult. So I just I don't want to like go into like crazy like overreaction mode that, you know, Real Madrid didn't score from their 26 crosses in the first half. And, you know, they didn't score more than two goals. They didn't. And, and truth be told, they didn't create um, enough chances to win this game, uh, although they could have still won it had they just been a bit better defensively twice. Um it was a tough game to break down the opponent. That's all, and I think that that should be noted. And um, and yeah, there's there's so many things, but you know, um, continue on that train of thought. Yeah, or whatever so you're gonna say. I was gonna talk about the second goal, but that would just it would break like the flow of discussion too much. I mean, we can touch like at the end of when we're gonna ready to move on to questions. Like I can go back to that. Um, so offensively. I, I agree with your general sentiment. I think you're you're a little more complimentary to the offense than I am, but I don't think we're too far apart in our evaluations. There were some things that I liked. A lot of it had to do with Hazard, who was occupying you know spaces in all all of you know the vertical thirds um, that you kind of ex- expect your attackers to, and that was really valuable. Just in general, his dynamic movement, you know, was kind of deriving any of the positive things we were doing obviously his on-ball quality to shake off multiple markers and then his ability to play like really nice passes to players um you know I think there could have been a little bit more you know dynamic movement in terms of actual overlapping runs and runs into the box um the two best chances we created was when you know Benzema ran into the channel in the first half got on the ball and kind of waited for Hazard to make this very long overlapping run, and then he plays it into the box, and then Bale hits it over the bar. 
And then obviously on the goal, you had Benzema again in that position with Marcelo making the overlapping run, cuts it back for Kroos, who scores. Um, you know, and those were the two best, I think, open play chances we had. Obviously, the penalty was the highest quality one. I, I thought there could have been a little more of trying to manipulate the opposition wing backs inwards into isolated positions and then kind of moving around them and getting free. To me, th- there were a lot of situations, and I think Matt pointed this out, Martel and Carbrol actually had a decent amount of space. And, you know, I, I, I buy the idea that their deliveries weren't the greatest, but it, it was it was in a situation where they were kind of in space that Celta were comfortable with. Um, when, when I say Matt said this, it's, he tweeted this out um, in the middle of the game. Um, it, it wasn't the case of, you know, Marcelo getting into space like he did on the overlap because Benzema had occupied the, the wing back or whatever, and he was into space running into that attacking space rather than receiving the ball, you know, deep, you know, you know, maybe 10 yards away from the box and just chucking the ball into it. That to me was kind of an issue. I think there could have been a lot more done with, with those types of movements on the outside of the wing backs. And then again, I think this is this has been a challenge throughout the season, right? Absent Ronaldo, who is the second player besides Benzema who's making these runs into the box and threatening the defense if we're going to play uh, a, a heavy crossing volume game. And in this type of instance, I think more cutbacks, looking more. Basically, I just think just spamming Kroos at the edge of the box, having him arrive every single time while you pin the defense back and throwing cutbacks in there. I think I think that was a potential solution, and. You know, if, if all of that maybe is, you know, a little too wishful thinking, like, you know, it's hard for Zidane to kind of do all of this at halftime, I think an even simpler thing to do would have been to, been to bring on Jovic for Bale. Bale personally just didn't do that much for me this game. And the reason I say that, normally I'm not going to say this because, you know, you need you need a player who does winger stuff on the ball to progress into the final third. But in this game, ball progression was not an issue. We had absolutely no problems getting into the final third. We had we had something like 22 deep completions, which means we completed 22 passes from 20 yards from goal, excluding crosses. And our average is like six or seven deep completions per game. Celta were allowing us to do that. So in that type of environment, we needed you know, either someone on the wing who was going to dribble at players, initiate something like Hazard or Vinicius, who didn't really get the opportunity but tried to do that briefly, or you need someone who attacks the box. And I think if you just put Jovic on there as kind of a false winger, all he's doing is just attacking the box from the blind side. And that, if we're, if we're going to do the cross-spamming approach, I think that would have helped us a lot. Um, that would I think that would have been a simpler solution, potentially. But in general, there was just... It was just lacking a little bit. There, we we were almost doing things that would have worked, but in, in my opinion, it wasn't frequently enough, and it was a little too reliant on Hazard. Um, but yeah, like Neon you know, saying, I still think you give a lot of credit to what Celta did. It's it really only the most elite of offensive coaches consistently break down, you know, a deep block like this. And, you know, some of the things I'm saying, like, I, I don't think you necessarily give Zidane a pass, but it is still sort of nitpicking, I think. Yeah, and there, there's a couple of things I want to quickly build off of there. Um, I think, and I don't want to regurgitate a lot of what everyone's already said, but obviously Celta, their deep block, they had a five-man back line. They had a defensive midfielder on top of that. They had basically playing with a block of five and a block of four right in front of it, just mm-hmm. yard, yards in front of their 18. And so, yeah, to your point, that's that's so, so difficult to break down. I mean, nearly impossible, and that's why our fullbacks had so much time and space because everything's forced out wide. Um, but what I think, I mean, you talked about Hazard, um, and I think Hazard by four, I mean, for a guy coming back three months after injury, I thought he was great. I thought uh, he mm-hmm. looked really fit. It was surprising. Um, knowing Hazard's lifestyle from the summer, um, and he, he, uh, but but his uh, his his uh, when he's injured when he's in, during the season that can that's considered work for him. Uh, no so more he, cheeseburger. Yeah, okay, it's no not off season for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So uh, no, he. I mean, well, he looks fit. He looks great. And I thought to your to your point, um, we had the way to break down deep defensive blocks like that is give and go is quick one, two interchanges. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it makes it difficult for that defense to track the man when you're making that run through. And we had it on the left-hand side with Hazard, Marcelo Cruz, Benzema, those guys combining, but I don't think it made us a little bit too predictable because we're always on that left-hand side. I mean, I can, 
I can rarely think of any occasions where we did those quick interchanges on the right-hand side of the pitch. And so I think um, it kind of became a little bit predictable from Real Madrid, all constantly going to, towards Hazard, relying on him, to your point. Well, those, uh, those overlaps from Marcelo and Carvajal, whenever they came, definitely were helpful. But they weren't that often because at any, you, would, you would see sometimes Hazard and Bale would look on the flanks. they get the ball on the flanks. And that you can see like they're, they're thinking about just sprinting past the, the wing back. And then they see two or three Celta bodies just there covering. And there's nothing they can really do even if they get past that first first man. Obviously, those those overloads help break that down. But the case for Jovic, for Bale at some point during this game. By the way, this wasn't the first time where a game was like crying out for Jovic's playing style and we never saw him. Um, mm-hmm. All the crosses that were coming in. And... Bale, who, you know, for the second straight game, if anything, at least he was moving off the ball well, like he was getting into goal-scoring positions and not scoring. And even that, is, for this game, is maybe generous because he, he had that one chance that I, I honestly thought that went in, and I was surprised he missed it. It was a big chance um, where he kind of sneaks into the near post and nearly redirects mm-hmm. it. Um, apart from that, he wasn't actually showing as an outlet in the box that much, and it was just Benzema meeting those crosses by himself. And... He only had four crosses on his own. So if you're gonna, if Bale's just gonna be the kind of guy who just cuts, who just passes it square, and then kind of just drifts around, you might as well have Jovic attacking some of those balls coming in. Um, right. A big talking point was the substitutions. Um, Rob, were you surprised when you saw kind of what Zidane decided to do with the subs here? I mean, a little bit. I mean, the subs didn't really have a super big positive impact. Uh, I didn't feel I didn't like Vinicius on the right side at all. Um, he needs to stick to the left for sure. And I saw a lot of people saying that as well um, on Twitter. Uh, but And that's definitely, I think, a valid point because even though he wasn't on for a huge amount of time, it's just, it's it's not producing anything. And when you have Bale, who is coming straight off of injury, uh, this is his second week starting, Um you know, they, they need some more production on that right side. And if it's not going to be Bale, they need to get someone there that can that can start producing. And that's where you, you rely on your subs is that's where you get a guy like Jovic in. And I, Jovic could work on the, the right side there, I think. I think uh, he really uh, does, hasn't been really given the opportunity this season to show what he can do because he's got a great off foot and he's got a great strong foot as well. And He's a dynamic player, and he should be a guy that Zidane is putting out there every match as a substitute to show, you know, this is why we paid this much money for this guy. This is a guy, this is a go-to sub that, you know, when the going gets tough, you can try on and rely on him to score and create chances and and just generate offense. And it just the subs didn't really make an impact for me. Uh I don't know, you know, Zidane, it, they're not going to work every game like that, but, you know, Zidane kind of chose the wrong the wrong ones this time. And, you know, Vinicius was not the guy that should have been on that on that side of the pitch. He should have been on the left side of the pitch. And it just didn't really end in the way Zidane wanted it to. And, you know, that's where you get a late-minute goal in the 85th minute where you're scratching your head saying, man, that could have gone better. So just uh, n- nothing really that, that stood out positively for me from the substitutes, honestly. So, I think the 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 fact the game state I think affected the subs really because Hazard winning that penalty, you know, it was kind of just out of nowhere. It was a moment where Hazard did really well. The goalkeeper was kind of dumb, and that put us up in front. It was kind of a gift of a goal almost. It it was a um, really smart thing by Hazard. I don't I don't I don't think yeah, that should yeah, be yeah. emphasized that like. It was yeah. a really clever thing for him to sprint to make sure because he knows that contact is coming. So his goal is just to get yeah. there just in time for that swipe to come in. Um, that was that was a crucial moment. But yeah, continue. Yeah, and another another reason Hazard was probably the player of the match for us. And but to my point, right? Like that, I think Zidane seeing we're two one up around the seventieth minute or whatever. That's when I think he says, "Okay, Hazard." has to come off because you know i've started him he's been going 150 percent um you know he's done his job essentially so let's bring him off put vinicius on who started off on the left you know modric comes yeah. on for Kroos, which maybe is the questionable sub i know matt tweeted out about that because Kroos 
essentially had the game controlled by himself, and that may have affected things. But then it's it was the decision to take Mendy, to put Mendy on the pitch while still having Marcelo and go to this weird, like, it wasn't even a back five because Marcelo was playing left wing and that's when Vinicius switched to the right that I think just kind of threw things off. Because defensively, I don't know if it really added that much. Obviously, uh, Mendy is better defensively than Marcelo, but it was still a back four, right? And then you, and then once you know Celta scored, and it was beautiful pass from Denis Suarez, right? We didn't really have the offensive structure to get back in the game. It was just super weird. Like we didn't really know what the left side looked like anymore. It was just Marcelo doing his usual thing with Mendy kind of sitting back, and then and Modric playing looked, really deep too on the left side. And then, it was kind of weird. And yeah, looking uncomfortable on the right. And to me, the Mendy sub is kind of what threw things off. I don't know if it gave us what Zidane thought it was giving us. And then, you know, just from hindsight bias, look, considering the fact that we conceded, it didn't help us offensively. I, I can sort of understand Kroos coming off because he was pressing like a madman throughout the game. And I, I can talk about the pressing later. I have some things to say about it. But, you know, Modric, Modric played a really weird game. Like he was, he came out and he was like trying to nutmeg people in front of our box. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing and I guess in that sense like if Modric had played a mature game I'm not sure it necessarily would have mattered as much but you know Modric came on did some weird things and so you know I I I kind of agree with Matt that taking Kroos off maybe threw things off but for me the bigger thing was like the Mendy sub just the way the game played out ended up hurting us the most yeah I um, now that I hear you say that, I kind I, I kind of agree with that and usually typically you don't see coaches coaches are very hesitant to make a defensive substitution or mess with the back line, at least. I mean, you see them add maybe a fifth, another center back to make it a back five, but that wasn't what Zidane did in this scenario. He obviously um, moved, just moved Marcelo up. And so you don't typically see that from coaches because they don't like to, me- I don't know, it's like a weird, idea. they don't want to mess with the mojo or whatever it is, but they don't typically do that. And so, um, no, I, I, I kind of agree with that. And then once they scored, we were we were all out of sorts. Vinicius just didn't look comfortable on the right. Um, for me, Cruz, the reason why I was just, I thought the Cruz substitution was wrong, I, he was playing great. I mean, I thought he was dictating the tempo of the game. He was our best midfielder. I thought he, I, he didn't, I mean, there was only 10 minutes left. Keep him in there. Hazard, I totally understand. I mean, obviously, he's not 100% fit, but even him, like, you want to keep him out there as long as you can just because he was causing so much danger. He was our, our key, like you said, our key player. The odd vertical pass from him too was like you, the team really needed more of that. Um, I also like, I didn't see anyone talking about Fede today. I thought Fede was was pretty good. I mean, he's he, he was making all kinds of runs in half spaces. He was carrying the ball in transition. Um, uh, you Oh, um, the subs and like, the left wing, what was happening with the weird left wing with Mar- basically Modric and Mendy playing as left backs and playing really deep. And <laughs> Mar- Marcelo, um, this is like years of sample size now. Marcelo only makes sense as a left winger in theory. And that's it. In theory. Yes. In practice, yes. it's never looked good. It never makes sense. Mm-hmm. He looks lost. He has it. And uh, it just, it's not a good position for him, even though you think, okay, well, he's not good defensively. He's great offensively. Boom, left wing makes sense. No, it doesn't. It doesn't work for him. I don't know what it is. Um, and also, it should be noted um, great assist, nice cutback to Cruz. Even like before Real Madrid conceded that second goal, there were moments where he's just looking at Smolov, basically making a break in on goal. On down the left wing, and he's just looking at him, and he's just jogging and looking at him. And Smolov, there was one moment where he he actually gets the ball. It's like a near breakaway, but he takes a bad touch. And if it wasn't for that, he's probably on a breakaway with Courtois. Just moments like that, like he is who he is. Um, and as he declines, and he's a player that's very beloved in in this podcast from from all of us. We all love him, um, and we're gonna miss him when he retires. But this is when you know when when his offense and starts starts to fade. You really notice his liabilities because those scenes get really magnified. Um, on the flip side, if you can't play Marcelo in a game at home against a relegation battling team, then I don't know mm-hmm. when you can play him. Like, so I don't fault them for playing him, but you know, it's something that like you know, this the question always comes on the podcast, like. What do we do next season? Does Marcelo stay one more year? Do we keep Regulona one more year? 
uh, you know, I'm just think it's kind of leaning towards the uh, bringing Regulon back a little bit early. Um, he was great against PSG. I think he was really good on the ball. PSG did not play well in that game. They did not pressure. I don't know how it holds up against Manchester City, but um, it's something to, to look at. Where do you guys want to go from here? Um, you wanted to talk about the press home? So I have two things to kind of talk about, just the press in general slash our counter-pressing, and then at some point just give my quick comments on the goal, just adding some things that, um, you guys didn't mention um, that I thought should be mentioned. Um, but I guess I can get into the press first because I think once if I say my stuff on the goal, I think like you guys have already said what you wanted to say. But if I say some stuff on the press, I think you guys can jump in maybe with some observations you had. So um, so I, this brings me back to Rafinha's kind of interesting positioning that uh, um, I mentioned very early at the beginning of the podcast. So you know, nominally, it was a back five, three midfielders, two strikers. Um, and, you know, we kind of pressed in two different ways. It was, you know, the front three pressing the back three and just kind of ma- matching up man to man with everyone. You know, with, you know, the idea being that there would be kind of one um, central midfielder three um, with that being um, Braderich would be kind of like nominally the central midfielder free, but with Rafinha kind of moving right in that pressing structure with, you know, the three attackers on three center backs and, and looking to go, you know, cross on a central midfielder, Valverde on a central midfielder, fullback on fullback. With Rafinha moving wide, it kind of put him in a position where no one was really picking him up. And so something I noticed that was going on later, later on with our press with, was cross was kind of stepping up onto the center back. Um, you know, Benzema was stepping onto, you know, the central center back and then kind of, you know, Bale was sitting on the far side center back um, and disallowed Hazard to move on to the wing back and Marcelo could kind of occupy Rafinha. But it was it was kind of nebulous enough where there were instances where I think Rafinha kind of caused us trouble in those types of positions. You know, the first goal was obviously you know, notable, but because Celta had so little possession, it wasn't like this massive factor. It's more like just a small, interesting note I'm making. It's not like Rafinha absolutely dominated the game with this type of manipulation. Um, I thought actually when Celta were on the counterattack, he was more influential just because I thought he was doing a really good job to win the ball back. He had three tackles and I think it was, you know, on par. I think it was like tied highest for most tackles on the team. Um, and, you know, his press resistance were good and he was releasing players. And I thought all around, like, if you were to say the man of the match from Celta's side, I think it was probably Rafinha just for all the things that he were doing, he was doing. Um, but, you know, other than the types of problems Rafinha was causing, I thought our press was largely good. And our counter press also, I think, was largely good aside from a couple instances, just because, you know, when you have Fede Valverde and Casemiro working as hard as they do and covering the amount of ground they do, it provides a lot of security. And then, Kroos is an intelligent presser where he's weak defensively, I think can be when he's sitting deep trying to cover some certain spaces. And then obviously when he's tracking back, he has that bad history of jogging. But when it comes to pressing, he's a very intelligent presser. Like it, it wasn't easy for him to have to abandon, you know, central midfield and go all out of his way to press the center back and then cover the passing lane back to the central back into center midfield. But that's something Kroos does better than almost anyone else. And he often doesn't get a lot of credit for it. And, you know, this is just, you know, it, it's weird to t- praise the defense a little bit in a game where the defense costs us the game. But I'm just like s- stepping back and looking at big picture. These are the kinds of like more cohesive defensive improvements that have made us have the second best defense in the league yeah. on expected goals. Yeah. Um, and I think it helps. Like I mentioned this the article I wrote a little bit with Ronaldo being out. I, I don't think Ronaldo being out is like the reason our defense is better. But I think it's a contributing factor. Like. The press, there's a the, the press has not looked susceptible for a very long time now, and part of that is having every single player who plays up top, including Hazard today, was absolutely committed, you know, was pressing in unison, and they were working extremely hard off the ball. And with the press, it's like one weak link, and you can't. And that's part of why it's not it's not the entire thing. I think there's been some tactical improvement from Zidane this season, but it's part of why we never really press consistently. So yeah, I mean, that's not to let defense off, right? Like we mentioned the defensive mistakes in the goals and I'll talk about the second goal later, but just from a big picture perspective, there were elements of what made has made our defense so good this season. It's worth noting. 
it's worth noting for sure. I mean, even outside those two chances, they actually defended pretty well in this game. And, uh, you know, I think the pressing was 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 largely good, like you said. I think, like, there were a couple moments where I thought, you know, you look at Fetty pressing and there's a whole passing lane behind him. If Celta are a bit better with their passing, they probably exploit that. But um, it's definitely worth noting. And I, I, before it gets to, to Matt in a second, I also want to just kind of give Zidane the benefit of the doubt in the subs to an extent. Um, I know he's spoken about wanting Vinicius to play on the right, and he's, he spoke about this before the season started, and he talked about it in the preseason. Um, Vinicius has played there a, a few times and maybe hasn't been that encouraging. I think one performance was was decent on that right wing. I don't remember which one it was now, earlier this season. Um, maybe he saw something in training and it worked, and in, in his head it worked. I think the subs, when you look at the names who came in, in a vacuum it made sense. Mordic... Um, is a is a ball controlling controlling midfielder. Mendy gives you defensive security when you're up two one. Vinicius, in theory, like you know, Celta are pushing in transition. They need to chase a goal. Makes sense. I guess it's the way that he used those subs um, that was head scratching. And uh, I, there's obviously a couple names on that bench. Obviously, that you look at one is Jovic, which we talked about. Isco, who had, who has been playing well of late. Um, I don't know what's going on there. I, I also don't believe that this is Zidane's full-strength lineup, as as we'll see soon against Manchester City. Um, Matt, where did you... I know I kind of maybe changed gears here a little bit, so why don't we go back to you for a sec. What did you want to say? Um, no, the only thing I wanted to add uh, to Ohm's point, I think your point earlier, Kian, was... He kind of went under the radar, but Fede Valverde was, I think, instrumental to that press and instrumental kind of mm-hmm. to the defensive side of the ball. Um, he's just so athletic and just so he covers so much ground that that's why he's so indispensable to this midfield. Now, I think he had, I have to go back and look at my notes, but he was amongst the, um, he had, I think, he three tackles in this game. So he was amongst the, the, high, the, the highest in the match uh, for Real Madrid. And so that kind of went under the radar and what he did defensively in this match, I, I think he was a little bit quiet. I agree he was a little bit quiet maybe on, on the offensive end, but defensively, I mean, he, he proved why he's part of that midfield and why um, our expected goals against are so low this season. Mm-hmm. Rob, did you have anything else, you, any notes you wanted to share from this game? Um, not really. I think that that really summarizes most of, most of the game. Yeah, I mean, the press really defined – the game today defensively for Real Madrid um, in a game where their back line was just one of their weaker parts. And, you know, it's something that they don't do super often, but it's something that really shined today and really got their their um, offense pushing forward and, you know, uh, the midfield controlling the ball well. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really did come down to defensive mistakes. I mean, that's what both goals really were for Celta was two defensive mistakes by Real Madrid. And that's how they scored those goals. I mean, that seems to kind of be the way you have to score on. And I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like Real or, I mean, no, I, I think it's fair to say Real, Real are a, a top team this year. I mean, clearly they are. So I am going to say it. I mean, it's, it's clear that the way to score on Real Madrid this season is you have to capitalize on their defensive mistakes, which they do make them still. So when you can capitalize on your chances like that, like Celta did today, you're going to, you know, force a result against the best team in Spain right now. And they are the best team in Spain right now, uh, points wise. So that's how Celta did it. And that's how what Real Madrid need to watch is, you know, when they have a good game where they press like this, still they have to watch the defensive mistakes. And they had those today and Celta capitalized. This one, this game was a bit more akin to me than to the to the games of years past. You know, like we've had games um, earlier this season, especially in this run, this unbeaten run, which, by the way, is still going strong, um, although it doesn't seem like it because we have to drop two points to the Bernabeu against a relegation-bound team. Uh, in games past, you kind of had that like that late surge, a late comeback, and you thought you were going to have it this game. But then they concede, like, in maybe just a couple moments of lack of focus, which... Which is more akin to the to the games in years past where they've lost the league and haven't won the league. Um, do you guys want to move on to the question, or do you, or do you have something else you want to you want you want to talk about? Yeah, I've been saying for like thirty five minutes. I want to talk about the second goal. Oh my god! Okay, go for it. <laughs> what the, the penalty? 
No, or no, Celta no, second goal. Second, second goal for Celta. Okay. Just because I, I, I think like, yeah, I'll just, whatever, I'll just go into it. So, Dennis Suarez, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing everyone knows Dennis Suarez was the substitute, but just saying that because he was the one who played the pass, and I'm going to mention his name often. So, like, the way that the kind of sequence started was, like, Ramos was on Dennis Suarez and Modric was on Rafinha. And so Suarez moves deep to receive. And I think Ramos follows him, which I think is the correct thing to do. And I think he also has in the back of his mind, he made a mistake on the first goal. And so there was, there was a good positional interchange in the sense that Suarez moves deep, Ramos follows him, and then Rafinha moves to replace that space and Modric falls. And so you have the space protected there. So like I said, good interchange of position. But then you have, like, Mina, who kind of, you know, moves off of Varane, like you said, Kian, onto Carvajal. And then Varane's occupied by Aspas, who kind of comes into this pocket of space in front of the box. And we're good there until Casemiro, who, you know, is now kind of also kind of in that area protecting Ramos' space. He sees Aspas, and he gets attracted to him. And he just moves a yard towards Aspas, just as Mina starts to make that run inside Carvajal. And this is as Suarez shakes off Ramos with a kind of like shake of his like shoulders, like a little fake turns. And in that moment, Casemiro vacates the passing lane just as Mina makes the run. And in split second, Suarez spots the run, spots Casemiro vacating the passing lane, and he plays that ball in, and then Mina takes it really well. So I think we were dealing with it actually pretty well up until the point where I think Casemiro just made the split-second mistake that normally would not be taken advantage. Take, normally, I don't think players would take advantage of that unless we're talking about like Messi or Neymar or something. And, you know, Celta punished it. So in my mind there, it was just that one mistake. Casemiro, who had been good defensively all game, in my opinion, just made that one error off the ball. And we were punished for it, so it, it was pretty brutal. But I have—I that was a goal where I just had to sit back and I couldn't even be mad, and I just had to admire like how they took. Like it was an extremely clinical move. So well, and I, yeah, I that's, him, that's what I wanted to say. I've watched it multiple times as well, and I think not only does Casemiro step up there, but Varane does as well. They both step up kind of at the right. same time. And Mendy and Carvajal obviously are still holding their position. So there was no, I mean, obviously these things are all happening at milliseconds. So it's so hard to look across the line and communicate that you're pushing up. But that's what needs to be done in that kind of defensive sequence. And the, obviously the two of them held their position and kept Santamina on. Uh, it just all happened kind of the milliseconds between all that mom- those moments. Santamina right. made the perfect run. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, it. It, it really was almost the perfect goal, but you can nitpick little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I still, I would argue even, I mean, I get, so Ramos, Ramos comes out again. He's a little bit aggressive coming out. Um, fortunately, like you said, Casemiro's in that kind of covering in that center back role and Modric also goes to track Rafinha. And so Modric is kind of uh, covering Ramos's space, but nobody... The rest of that whole central part of the defense should have converged together. Everybody should have been tighter. Um, instead, when Ramos, when Casemiro and Varane both step up, then that's where the holes appear. Santimina, by the way, who has had an t- awful season, just popped. Add him to the list of, of strikers yeah. like Luke de Jong, who sleep up <laughs> the entire yeah, season dude. and then <laughs> revive against us. I bet you will add Borja Bayral to that list uh, next week yeah. against Levante. Um Let's take one patron question and then we're going to wrap it up. Varun, our patron, says, what if Mbappe chooses Barcelona, Liverpool, or he stays in PSG over us? Do we have a plan B? If we, have, who is the sec- if, if we do have a plan B, who is the second best talent after Mbappe right now? Benzema and Bale have only one to two seasons more. Do you think Vinicius or Rodrigo can reach Mbappe level when they turn 21? Please share your opinion on this, Managing Madrid Experts. I I don't think we I don't think Mbappe chooses any of those three teams over us, and if you had to if you had to talk yourself into who's the second best talent, the more I watch Jaden Sancho, I the yeah, more I'm just yeah. like holy shit, this guy's actually incredible. That just taking players so, on his finishing, his his lethal his movement, everything is just is phenomenal. I don't know if it's Mbappe level, but it's it's up there. So you don't think Mbappe might stay in PSG for another season? Well, 
that is an option, but that's not choosing PSG over us. That's just that's just delaying the inevitable. Okay, that's how I that's how I interpreted yeah. it. But okay, yeah. So, so um, maybe I mean I'm Kian. I'm in agreement with you right there. And let's say maybe we twist this question a little bit. Let's say Mbappe does stay at PSG um, another season, just delaying the inevitable a little bit, which is kind of what we all predict. It's probably going to be 2021. Uh, what? What type of re? I mean, I I still think we need a reinforcement on that right wing. Um, who who do we look at? Well, you may so, just you don't have to maybe put a pure or do right wing. Do anything? I, I I think you. I might. mean, I would do something. But I would do something. But here's but here's the case for not doing anything because you already have you you assume that other strikers will will our other wingers can step up on that wing whether it's Asensio or Rodrigo. And the other option is you have Odegaard coming back. He's not a pure yeah. right winger, but you just kind of sh- shift the scheme around a little bit. He, you may you may put more bodies in midfield um, and kind of work around it. And um, uh, what was I going to say? We were talking about wingers and uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> so yeah, okay. I'll just I'll just pick up and when you remember, just jump back in. If, if Odegaard is playing on the right, I can buy that. Um, I. I, that's honestly where I still prefer him, but he's really convinced me with about his ability to play in central midfield, mainly because of like his pressing. I mean, it's not the same it was in the Dutch league, but like you know, he he's not a liability. I, I still think people overrate like his ability to defend, you know, in in deeper blocks. But it, it's hard to say he's a liability. Um, and if you know he's playing, in, but if he's going to play in the right wing, you know, I can buy that. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm all there. I, for some reason, people continue to have this idea. Like I talk to people and they're like, Odegaard can't play there despite that being like, until he came to Real Sociedad, that's, that's where he was playing. Like he was playing extremely well on the right wing. He has no issue playing there, but I assume he's, if he comes back, it's going to be central midfield mainly because, you know, that's where we're thin, like Kroos, Valverde, Modric, most likely leaving, um, you know, he, we're really thin in options there. And I assume probably because he's playing there at Real Sociedad that he's going to come in and be central midfield. If that is the case, you know, I, you know, we need goals coming to that position. So like Asensio coming back from ACL, big question mark. Like he could play well, but it's a question of like how you're playing well. Like what what is it that you're providing? I'm not convinced that Asensio or Rodrigo provide the types of goals that we need Whereas, like someone like Son, you know Sadio Mane, who, who's more of a left winger, um, or someone like Raheem Sterling, who seems unattainable, but I I'm bringing him up because there is this tweet about how like City's violations of FFP could you know result in all their players being able to terminate their contracts, which I, I, I doubt is true. Maybe like on a technicality, but I, I I doubt that actually happened. But in this dream scenario where every Manchester City player becomes a free agent, someone like Raheem Sterling on the right to me is preferable to a Jaden Sancho type who I really, really like, but ultimately is more of a creator than a goal scorer, whereas Raheem Sterling is a 20 goals, 20 assist player every single season. Like, I, I think I, in my mind, when thinking about this tack and, and thinking about profiles and, and what is it that we really, really need, and in my opinion, it's goals. We need people who, 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 who produce shots and produce high-quality shots. And can Asensio do that? I don't know. I don't really think he's that type of player. Rodrigo, it remains to be seen. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, that's a need. Like, does this? do we still have this same defense next season that's going to make up for an offense that relative to the league is good? But if you, like, do a projection, we're going to score about 73 goals by the end of the league. That's, like, 40 less than what our average was when we, when we had Ronaldo. And that's a huge drop-off. I don't think like your your point about the city players. I I think while it while it sounds exa- exaggerated when you when you put it that way with the tweet you saw, I don't think it's crazy that they might want to leave anyway. I mean, I just think like I I think those you're gonna at least hear a lot of rumors about it, whether they're true or not, and I think you're gonna start hearing kind of mumblings and. A player like Kevin De Bruyne, who was always like such a tasty proposition to have in your squad, who but who was always so unattainable because why would he leave Manchester City? He's a key part of that project there. He's in his peak right now. Um, now all of a sudden, like he's not that young, and all of a sudden now you just throw out the idea that you can't win the Champions League for two years. It's at least it's at least worth 
considering. Like, that's a name that you were never linked with that you may start being linked with all of a sudden. And I would never turn that down because I'm, I'm just a huge... I love the way he plays. I think he's so smart. The injuries kind of concern me a little bit. But, you know, if a player like that isn't on the table, I think you take him if he's attainable. Um, I do think... But I, if I had to... get, I mentioned this to Lucas last week on the podcast. To me, Mbappe is just a, on loan. We might as well just... We might as well just cover him on the loan tracker because I think it's inevitable. I feel I feel more sure about his signing than I did with Hazard, and um, you know whether he extends that contract at PSG or not, I don't I don't know, but I think it's an inevitable thing. And and but it's certainly not a case where I think if he stays and if he doesn't stay at PSG, I don't see him choosing Liverpool or Barca. But um, I guess I've been wrong about things before, but I'd be shocked. Yeah, I I agree there. Um... I think, like you said, it, it's an, a matter of when, not if, with Mbappe. I think, I don't think Mbappe is going to come this summer. Just, I just, I just don't see it yet. Um, I think the earliest he comes is summer 2021 next year. Um, but you know, if PSG get knocked out early of the Champions League, I mean, maybe he he says, "All right, I'm done. I'm out." You know, transfer me to Real Madrid. Uh, you know, that's a possibility. Um, but you know, it's just. Yeah, it seems like a matter of of when with him. And I I don't think as far as other teams being involved, I mean, I can only realistically really seeing Barcelona besides PSG, like him staying at PSG. I think Barcelona are really the only other competitors. I just don't see Liverpool like making that big of a splash for him. Like Mo Salah has been fantastic for them. And yes, Mbappe is an upgrade on him, but they just they're not the type of team that drops, you know, $200 million on one player. You know, they use their $200 million on arguably one of the best goalkeepers in the world right now and on Van Dyke and on Fabinho and all that. They, they're going to spend that $200 million on different assets, not on one player. So I don't I don't think they'll ever be a competitor for for Mbappe, not because he won't go there, but because they probably aren't looking to transfer for him. They're looking more at, you know, Timo Werner or uh, even Jaden Sancho over a guy like Mbappe just based on price tag. All right, we got to wrap it up here, I think. Um, and uh, we have plenty of coverage coming your way, both on managingmajor.com, but also on the podcast this week. Stay tuned. I think we're going to be announcing soon a live podcast in Madrid um, the day after the Manchester City game. So if you're in Madrid that week, uh, leave it open and we'll, we'll give you details soon. Um, but, you know, this was fun, even though it was not, uh, not a, I guess, a, an entirely uh, exciting game to talk about in terms of the result. But... Uh, fun chatting with you guys nonetheless and uh, we'll catch you guys next time and Hala Madrid Hala Madrid Hala Madrid Hala Madrid